Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. Here at Milkshakes for Mali, we aim to bridge the gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guest that we profile here each week and becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. So today we welcome Michael from Tiny Gratitudes who's spreading awareness about cancer, expressing a cancer journey through drawings and sharing blood donation experiences. So hi Michael, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. Hello. This is my first podcast. I feel like I need food. (laughs) I'll be gentle, I promise. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, I've spoken and written many times before on the topic of dads getting a little bit lost in the additional needs parenting narrative. Um, Certainly, in our family, people always check in on me and my mental health. But my husband, who's often working full time, providing additional care for our sons when I've spent time in hospital with Marley, gets a little bit forgotten. So I think it's really important to have you on the show today um, and to share your perspective from a dad's point of view, because it's really important for us to highlight that as well. So thank you so much for being on our show. Absolutely. And it's a pleasure as well. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, awesome. Right, let's drive straight in. We're going to go in hard core right from the start. Um, I'm going to quote a post that you made on your Instagram account, Tiny Gratitudes, which I really encourage all of our listeners to get across and have a look at. And we'll pop a link in our show notes to your Tiny Gratitudes account and also to your new TikTok account, which I note that you have recently <laughs> released as well. So we'll pop those I feel so old creating a TikTok account. <laughs> I'll pop those details in for everyone as well. Um, but you said on there, no one ever tells you the true superpower that you have until your child is diagnosed with a terminal disease. Can you just talk to me about um, when Marcus was first diagnosed and how that felt for you guys? Oh, God. Um, Listen, Marcus, um, I think we took Marcus once in his lifetime in the two and a half years to hospital. He never really needed to go to hospital, never really got sick that much. He was just a a normal, healthy boy. I mean, there was nothing to it. And we never thought that that day would come. But the week leading up to the um, diagnosis, he had these random temperatures that were coming in and out. And, um, you know, just one day we decided we'd take him to the hospital late at night because he broke out um, in a fever and started Mm -hmm. shivering through his sleep. And we called Health Direct and took him. One o'clock in the morning, we're at the hospital by 5 a.m. We get a we get a possible diagnosis of leukemia. And when you hear that first, it doesn't really, and I think a lot of parents would kind of agree. When, when somebody tells you your son or your daughter have, has cancer, uh, you, you don't really understand the word. Like you know what leukemia means, but you don't you don't want to accept that you just heard leukemia. It's almost like Wait, did you just say flu or did you just say leukemia, like cancer Ooh. leukemia? Or it was, uh, it was really heartbreaking to try to accept that. And I think I've spoken to a lot of parents as well. It's almost like everybody's in the same boat in that first 24 hours where they go, are you sure you didn't make a mistake? Are you sure 
there is no mistake in the blood results. You know, it's it can't just be something else. But unfortunately, most likely they would have gotten it right from the first time. Mm-hmm. Marcus's white blood cells were really, really high, extremely, extremely high. And the blast cells, so the leukemia cells within there, were also really, really high. And um, it was critical for him to kickstart his treatment journey very, very quickly. I'm talking about within the next first 24 hours being hooked up to whatever he needed to be hooked up to. Um, he had to get into an operation and that was a Sunday night. Our specialist has to, had to call in people to start operating on him to insert the, the, the central line to get a to get the chemo in him. And just, there was a lot that was happening. Um, the emotions behind it, I can't, I can't describe because it's almost like you just want to wake up. You know, just just tell me this is a really bad dream that I'm going through right now and I just need to wake up. But there is, I can't explain the emotions behind. And this tees me up. Take your time. As a, as a dad, my, he, Marcus is my firstborn and my son. And we, we started becoming best friends. And now I'm looking at my son in, you know, ICU, just having all these machines connected to him and all these wires and pipes and something helping him breathe. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want him to be here. And people will tell you, you know, he's strong, you're strong, be strong, but this is not the strength that I ask for. This is not the strength that I've ever asked for. This is not the strength that I need needed for him. But that first 24 hours is the worst 24 hours we ever had in our lives. That was, and, and my dad passed away from cancer. Oh, wow. And I can tell you when, when I was, when I was 11 and I could tell you, I've been, I think I was hit harder in that 24 hours than I ever was with my dad. It's, it's the different types of connections, right? Mm-hmm. It's father to son is really a deep connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that emotional journey was just a nightmare. It was hell. It was, you couldn't do anything to me in that first 24 hours that would have hurt more than seeing what I had to see, hearing what I had to hear, feeling what I had to feel. Um, but yeah, and, and, then, and then it's almost like there's a switch in your brain that just goes off and says, all right, well, bring out those superpowers that you don't even know that you have because you're about to go through a hell of a journey. And I just couldn't stop thinking about my dad and connecting it back to what I saw my dad go through and what my mom had to go through. And then I started appreciating everything my mom had to go through with my dad for four years. And we haven't even done the first 24 hours yet. So all that superpower had to start coming out because, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that my son survives. Yeah, uh, if anything had to happen, I would never want to sit back and think, could I have done more? Oh, God, no. There's no way on, a, on this earth that I would actually want to feel the feeling that I could have done yeah. something more and I didn't. And that's why, and I'll talk about that a bit later, but that's yeah, why absolutely. I started finding gratitudes. Yeah, okay. So how old was Marcus when he was diagnosed? Two and a half. Two and a half. Oh, yeah, so exactly, exactly two and a half, actually. But little enough to have a bit of an understanding of what was going on around him, but not big enough that you could really explain to him what was going on and why his whole life had just changed in an instant. 
So whoever listens to this um, to this episode and knows Marcus will tell you that Marcus is a very switched on boy. I mean, yeah, right. He, he he's he's outgrown himself in many many places, uh, and he understands a lot. We are very very careful when we speak around him because he not only understands but he repeats, right. and he picks up even the hardest of words. For example, our, our, I remember we were sitting in clinic. It was me, Marcus, and the social worker. And I was telling the social worker how he needed to take Ambazone. Um, and Marcus turned around to me and he said, Dad, is this Ambazone? I said it so perfectly. And I'm like, dude, you're still like not even three. <laughs> how did you just say the social worker? I was so shocked. I was shocked. Um, but yeah, he's just picking up on a lot. After he woke up from my, after a day and a half in ICU, when he woke up, the first thing he said to us was, I'm sick. Mm, buddy. It's all, he understood every, he doesn't understand cancer, but he understands everything that's happening around him, which is good and bad in the same yep. time. As well. And we've had this experience as well, having Marley spend so much time in hospital is that as much as you resent the place, you really have to make it a positive environment for them because it becomes their reality. So, you know, having those really positive interactions with the doctors and the nurses around the kids and having as much fun and normality as you possibly can in that hospital setting so that those kids can ground themselves to something. So one of the things that we did, Friday night football is a big thing in our house. And so Marley was in every second Friday night for about eight months. We had week on week off treatment. And so we would still get pizza and have our Friday night football, but in her hospital room, just to maintain that connection and get the nurses to get in on it and pick a football team and, you know, those kinds of things to try and help it feel as comfortable as you can. You don't want them to have that as their reality forever but I mean it is for our little people and their living memory quite often is that hospital setting so for us creating those positive connections to hospital has been really important for Marley's mental health. Listen I I, I, I totally agree with you um, mm-hmm. I think having that normality especially when you're staying in hospital is very very important and I will admit that my wife Michelle's much better at doing that than me I'm yeah. I'm almost, almost like I'm running out of creative things to do with him inside a room. And I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm just processing what I need, all these tasks and then yeah. just kind of takes my mind away from, you know, keeping them entertained. Yeah. But Michelle does a much better job than me in, <laughs> when it comes down to um, entertaining markers. Um, I do resent being inside hospital walls because I have a bad memory of being inside yeah, hospital sure. walls. Yeah. Um, and, but I will say this, and I hope one day the, the nurses at Westmead, the doctors, the specialists, even the cleaners, everybody who works at Westmead hears this, they have been nothing but awesome, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, those nurses, what they do with Marcus, the amount of time they play with him, how they make him feel so welcome. So it's almost like he's royalty walking into that um, ward and yeah. they just make him feel so happy and they play with him and he pretends to be, you know, he's now in that whole pretend stage. So he acts like, you know, the Lion King and, you know, he acts like, he likes the bad guys from movies, by the way. So he likes Scar from the Lion King and he likes yeah. Jafar from Aladdin. Right? <laughs> he, wants, he wants to roll and he wants, and these nurses get into the whole play and they all gather around him and they make him feel so good. And it makes me feel happy 
that he's, yes, he's going through a very traumatic experience, Mm -hmm. but there are people out there who are trying their best just to kind of give it a bit more colour and light and, and cheer him up. It's hard to explain to people what a magical place children's hospitals can be. I think, you know, people think of children's hospitals and see how big they are and it's heartbreaking for people to think that families are being torn apart in there and children are sick and it's every parent's worst nightmare is to be living in a children's hospital. But there's also so much joy that you can find in there because the staff in there are just so incredible and they just make it that way. And, you know, we've said before, this podcast could almost be called the Nurses Fan Club podcast because nearly every guest that we talk to does a shout out to the amazing work that nurses do in making, you know, their traumatic journeys so much more comfortable. Um, You just really made me think of something then when you were talking about your dad and I assume that he would have needed blood products at some stage as well if he had cancer treatments. So you're probably sitting right in between your dad and your son that have needed blood products for their cancer journeys. Um, When Marley was at her sickest, um, I was supposed to go to Texas for an autoimmune encephalitis conference and because we were just desperately looking for some other form of treatment because nothing was working and I had to cancel my trip at the 11th hour because our pediatrician just pulled me aside and said I can't guarantee if you leave the country for four days that Molly will still be alive when you get back and you would never forgive yourself if you weren't here and she passed while you were gone so I think you need to stay I think you need to get a photographer take a lot of family photos Jeff needs to take some long service leave that's where we are okay um and it was like four o'clock the next morning Jeff and I haven't slept a wink obviously and we were just laying there and I remember Jeff saying to me you know this hits us in a different way um we have a nine-year-old who's an identical twin and he's a surviving twin his twin brother Benjamin died during our pregnancy but we carried them both to term and birthed them both so we know what it's like to lose one of our children and so when the pediatrician said that that's where we were I think it hit us in a different way because we know what that feels like and that really made me think of that moment then when you were talking about your dad when you heard your child has cancer it probably took you straight to the fact that you lost your dad to cancer and it so probably hit you in a slightly different way than it might have hit another parent I just, I just can't imagine what that must have yeah. felt like. It, I hate saying this, but I, this is the first thing that I thought about. I know how the story ends. Yeah. 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 Like, and that's why I'm fighting. Yeah. Not this time, right? It's not going to happen this time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Take your time. Um, okay. Let me know if you need a break. No, no, no. That's okay. This is it. This is this is this is what I needed out of this podcast. Yeah. It's the raw emotions. I think this is what's missing. Mm. Is when this first happened to us, I, I, I needed to feel this raw emotion from a lot of these from a lot of parents. But the hard part is, wherever you look, you're looking at facts and science and treatments and medications, but. Yeah. I needed to dig deeper. I needed to know that people are feeling the same way as I'm feeling and I'm feeling Absolutely. and I'm validated. And I'm feeling, you know, this is, this is, this is exactly how I'm meant to feel. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's why I started Tiny Gratitudes because I didn't want to just shed light on cancer treatments. You know what? I'm not going to swear, but. You can swear. Cancer. Yeah. Fuck yeah. cancer. Absolutely. I, I don't if- want to talk about the diagnosis because you know what? Type in acute lymphoblastic leukemia in Google and get all your facts from there. When I share my drawings, these are expressions of how we felt at some stage, how I felt at some stage, and I'm putting them out. And I kid you not, a lot of them happen at 12 o'clock at night because I can't sleep anymore because my brain just is overthinking of ways to to, to build more awareness and hopes that one day somebody would look at it and go, you know what, maybe this needs to stop. Maybe, maybe, Maybe we shouldn't start with the question of, what treatments do our children need? Maybe we shouldn't be setting the foundation of how we treat cancer with that question. Maybe that maybe it shouldn't be a question. Maybe it should be a statement. The statement should be, all right, this is the basis. This is the foundation. No child should die from cancer. Now build everything on that. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm just in hopes that one day somebody will see it. And you know what? It felt so weird because I never wanted to start a TikTok in my life. Never even had the app. Last night I go, I went, if I am going to do this, mm. I'm going to give it my all, 150%. I'll get it done. And I know I will. And look, none of us signed up to be parents of families with additional needs either. Like, no, there's no good way to do this. None of us knew how to do it. So we just do the best that we can along the way. Absolutely. Um, And I think it's really important too that two things out of what you just said, one of them, this isn't how this story ends for Marcus because people are donating blood that allow him to have the treatment at all without Australian blood donors donating across all the different blood products partial part of his treatment wouldn't even be possible so you know you guys are still a family today in your house because of blood donors which is you know why you're on the podcast today to tell us about that incredible impact Um, but also one of the things that we're trying to change through this podcast is to start the narrative about families with additional needs rather than just having a special needs child because I think so often there's the focus on the child with the special needs but we don't think enough about the impact that that has on the whole family um, in terms of the way our medical professionals interact with us and look for our family it's changed you know socially what we're able to do with our other children I haven't been able to work since Marley has been sick so there's that financial impact you know, Jeff and I can't leave Marley. Like you can't just get a babysitter for her, you know, her seizure, you know, risk is too high. And we've got two other children that are neurodiverse and, you know, three kids with disabilities and one house. She can't just pay the kid down the road 20 bucks. So (laughs) you can go and have a night out. Like it just doesn't work like that. So, you know, we navigate that as a family and that's fine. But I think it's really important to look at the impact on the whole family and yeah you being so authentic in telling your story today is a really big step towards that so thank you for being so honest I so that. I want to take you back to before Marcus got sick so tell me about your Saturday mornings together playing soccer oh. and just pre-cancer diagnosis just tell me about Marcus this makes me feel very happy that you read my posts um so <laughs> Uh, and and you know what? And this is uh, um, before I tell you that I'm gonna I'm gonna connect it back to the blood donations part yeah, because I think please. it's a really important part for me to to actually continue talking about. And I urge anybody as well who wants to share a story. There's a lot of people out there like yourself, like myself, who want to share these stories. Yeah. The reason behind them is 
when you start understanding the connection between a blood donation and how it can change people's lives and the connection all around and how everything just kind of fits in together, you'll be so amazed. So um, uh, shout out to um, Natalie who, who shared her story. And even though her story was very personal to her as well through her pregnancy and all, um, uh, there, was a, there was a time when Marcus didn't have cancer and there was a time when Natalie didn't perhaps, couldn't donate. Marcus and I, when, once he got to the age, just over, I think he was about 18 months old, I, I, rolled him in, I enrolled him into um, soccer, Little Kickers, because um, I just wanted to have that with my son, you know, just growing up, my mates, uh, they, 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 they used to go to soccer practice and their dads would take them. And I'm like, I want to be that. I want to be that dad. Why not? I want to have a, you know, a, a Saturday activity with my son. Um, so I would take him to soccer at eight o'clock in the morning and we would do like 45 minutes or 50 minutes of play. And he absolutely loved it. Um, he learned how to kick and score and just, he was, he was so good. He was getting so well at it and he earned a couple of his badges as well. Um, and, uh, after that, every morning I made it a habit that we go to, um, the hideout cafe, which is only up the road from our house and get a pizza and get, um, well, orange or apple juice for him or whatever it is. But that was yeah. so special as well because that was our thing. So I would take him out of the house from 7.30 in the morning all the way through to about 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and we just have the best day ever, just dad and son, just enjoying our life together. And one day that just stopped. Yeah. And one day I just came in, I think it was the first week of diagnosis where I came into the cafe and... Um, I looked like absolute crap yeah. and uh, yeah, the people saw me there and that saw me there and I, I ended up telling them what had happened. And from Nat's post, I didn't know this, mm. but Nat went and tried to donate again because I kept on telling people if you want, because a lot of people ask, well, how can we help? How can a lot, everyone wants to help. Yeah. The thing is, don't, I've never been the type of person to, a lot of people will tell you this, I've never been the type of person to, to ask directly for something. I find that, you know, I, I just don't have that. So when I need someone to help, I want to make sure that the help counts towards something. Yeah. Absolutely. So every time somebody else, so do you guys need food? Whatever it is, I'm like, try to donate blood. Yeah. Because I know that the donation, that I know what it's like to sit there in the room and go, well, can we get him blood? Yeah. I mean, like, is, is there a blood donor for him? Like, yeah. is he going to have his blood donation on time? Because it's, yeah. the levels are really, really dropping. So when Nat actually told me that, she, she started donating after mm-hmm. that and she was successful. Yeah. I was so happy because I know exactly where that blood donation would have gone. Mm-hmm. My first blood donation ever, and I didn't donate blood before Marcus, but I started as well. My first blood donation ever went to Westmead Children's Hospital. I had no control over that. I don't know who it went to, but it went to someone in the Westmead Children's Hospital. And God, I hope it went to somebody in the oncology ward. But whichever kid had it, I know that their parents would have been so happy to see their kids' levels go back up again. Yeah. And that's exactly how this project came about. And the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team um, that sort of started the narrative for this whole project was that we exactly the same as you people keep saying what can we do what can we do what can we do and we just kept saying at the moment there's actually nothing that you can do except go and donate plasma because that's the only thing keeping our kid alive at the moment and then next time you go try and take a friend with you and just spread that word about plasma donation and we sort of um, you know had a few businesses that gave their staff the afternoon off work if they wanted to go and donate plasma for Mali and 
we realised just telling her story how much that raised awareness about, you know, the impact that plasma could have in improving quality of life as well as preserving life and got people that hadn't donated for a long time back in the chair and then booking regular donations. And so the point of the podcast was, what if we told all of the stories and then we could bridge that gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients? So we want anyone that's listening to this episode today to think that their donation could very well have gone to Marcus and to keeping your family together or any of those hundreds of kids within the walls of children's hospitals, you know. So it's just, it's such a powerful thing telling these stories and we're really grateful to you for sharing your family's story today. Um, so <clears throat> what, do you know what blood products Marcus has needed and how they have supported his treatment? So mostly would have been um, uh, just whole blood and uh, platelets as well. Um, yep. And he's had, I want to say about 15. I think we calculated it sitting at 15 in total. Yeah. I listened to Grace's episode yeah. and I didn't realise how much Raya actually needed, but I'm not yeah, surprised yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, so just to just give up some context, Grace actually nominated you for the podcast. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you guys know each other? I met Grace in the clinic. Uh, we were sitting right in front of each other. And I think she may have said something to me that she knows my wife or she knows somebody that knows my wife or something around that. You know, it's a blurred kind of vision, but then it, it, the conversation picked up. You sit in the clinic, the clinic is small. Um, you, you get to know a lot of parents, whether it's from the clinic or whether it's from the wards. And mm. sometimes it's all right. It's nice to say hello. Yeah. Um, but the conversation usually shifts to, oh, you know, what's, what's the diagnosis or how's your kid going? And um, yeah. that's where it started going. And then I met Rayon, a beautiful girl. Um, and uh, we just started picking up a really good friendship. And I know uh, Grace and my wife are becoming really, really close and they talk a lot. And you know what, Grace, you'll hear this as well. So thank you very much because I feel like outside of our family, Grace became the hospital family that yeah. we needed at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and her journey is so tough. Her journey is so, so tough with Raya, but God, she's strong. But I know for a fact if she's anything like me, and I put up this poem, this drawing as well. We cry in silence. It's like I am the type of person. Yes, I'll show you that I'm strong and all, but there is time that I'm going to break in myself. Um, and I know Grace and us shared a lot of those emotions, and that's how we started becoming really, really close. Yeah, and there's the greatest strength in showing that emotion, and I think it's important as well. People said to us so many times when Marley was first really sick. You know, you just have to have a positive attitude. You've just got to stay strong. And that just felt like it added something additional to my mental load, pretending like my positive feelings actually are not going to have any impact whatsoever on her pathology results when we have a look at what her next treatment plan is the next day. Obviously, you create a great environment to keep your child happy, but I couldn't be strong for everybody else. I needed to lean into my family and what my family needed. Um, I'll just let listeners know if you want to go back in our podcast feed and listen to Grace's episode. It's called Grace on the Value of Spirituality and Faith in Caring for a Child with a 50-50 Chance. And that's her story um, of looking after her daughter, Raya. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, I was going to share, uh, this is, so for years now, I really loved enjoying this video. And uh, this is a side note, but I'll bring it back. There's a, yeah. there's, a there's a motivational talk. She's also like a very, very well-established um, person. Her name is Brene Brown. Oh, we love Brene Brown. <laughs> Everyone loves <laughs> Brene. <laughs> so you would have probably seen the video of that cartoon, Sympathy yeah. versus Sympathy. Yeah, I'll probably put it in the show notes though. For anyone that hasn't seen it, I'll pop it in the show notes. If anybody wants to know how do you approach somebody who is battling childhood, any parent battling childhood cancer, listen to that two minute, three minute clip first. Yeah. And you will know because it's not sympathy that we're looking for. We're not looking for sympathy. We're not looking for stay strong. We're looking for something deeper because now our life have dug it. We, we've gone to way deeper place in life than than anything. This is this is this is shaping and reshaping and reshaping our lives day by day. Mm. To actually live one day at a time, mm. it's impossible mm. because then you have to convince yourself you can't have an outlook to the future. Well, not yet. So if you ever want to approach a family and you don't know how to, start with that video. Three-minute video, sympathy versus empathy. It's it's a great video to watch to understand how, what that next level of reaching out when it comes down to empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, uh, I, I, I agree. This, this, this experience has taken us to a whole, a whole new level. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. So you were telling me that Marcus goes back in for treatment again next week. Yes. That's his short-term future. How far into the future can you look for him now? Uh, I'll tell you exactly, actually, because I'm a bit of a psycho in this. Um, 3rd of June, 2022, three months and 13 days from now Mm -hmm. is when he's, if everything goes well, he's meant to finish his... um, uh intensive treatment so the last protocol of the intensive treatment this is a about a five or six month protocol which has three stages um intensive treatment for about four weeks about six weeks off with maintenance kind of treatment and then back up again we'll do that about a total of three times it's third of june 2022 is when we will see him hopefully if he remains on track he starts his maintenance from there. I can't look beyond that date. Right no. now, I'm not, I'm not even, uh, my wife and I also had the chat about the um, ringing the bell. And mm-hmm. I, I'll, some some people will see him ring the bell after the intensive treatment. I'm like, I can't do this now. I can't, no. I, mm-hmm. I, I need to make sure that first we are comfortable with this treatment before we even think of that. But that's only me. That's that's us. That's our opinion. That's how we feel. And that's how we think. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily the approach that any parent should take. And you know what? If you get to remission, then celebrate it. Mm. If you can celebrate it, celebrate it. Yeah. Oh, God. I need to mention this. Our specialist actually called us to tell us that Marcus was cancer-free. And this is going to be a big shock to a lot of people listening, because not a whole lot of people actually know this, but I'll share. Okay. Our specialist told us that Marcus was cancer-free after telling us that he was high-risk. Um on the same day that my daughter was born, four hours after my daughter was born, um, I get a phone call from our specialist to tell us, oh, by the way, Marcus is cancer-free. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, the roller coaster. It was, 
it was it was bizarre. You don't what emotion should you feel? What emotion should you feel at that very moment? You don't you don't know. You, no one now you've got me in tears. That's a lot. Like there's something so in that about the way that the universe all just came together in that it's one almost, day. And oh, that's a lot. It's almost like this fire that was around us. It just within a second just disappeared. I I, I told our specials that I love her. Like in front yeah. of my wife, I gave birth. I'm like, I love you. I just, I, I love you right now. Like, what, what, what like, I just need to tell you I love you. Like, it's just, it was so, oh my God, what was that experience? Oh, but we needed that. Also, there's it's something crazy. magical about your daughter and what she's going to bring to this world. That happening as she was being born into the world, like there's just something really special about that. Absolutely. And we, 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 we also saved her stem cells. So wow, in, in, cool. in, in case, in case, yeah, 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 in absolutely. the case of relapse and needing a bone marrow transplant, we're hoping that she would be a, a match for mm-hmm. our son. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what an experience, right? So what's her name? <laughs> Amara. Oh, that's beautiful. How old is she now? Uh, four and a half months. So oh. yeah, my wife was pregnant. She was, my wife was four months, four months pregnant when, um, Marcus was diagnosed four five five months yeah and isn't that incredible you wonder too looking at her in your world if things had have just been a few months different whether you would have thought it was the right time to have another baby had Marcus got sick a couple of months before so her being in your world is literally a miracle of a couple of months anyway you could very well have waited to not there's a right or a wrong but you could very well have thought we'll just push it back a little bit and deal with this first or absolutely how incredible is your wife being in hospital and pregnant going through cancer treatment with your son in the middle of a global health pandemic as well how much oh yeah we got got, my child in the middle of covid we we got it all we copped it all we oh we just had the um i think this is why 5th of October 2021 will go down as one of my probably the best day for our family for us. Yeah. Just two big things happened on that day, and it's just to kind of outweigh everything bad that would we would have yeah. experienced before. But if my daughter hears this one day, Amara, oh, <laughs> you know what? I, I I talk a lot about my son, and my page will be dedicated to him and his cancer. Of course, but I don't want her to ever forget that. I'm not, I don't just love her. I'm actually in love with this little yeah. baby who's given us so much hope, so much yeah. smiles and laughter and, 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 and love and joy. And yeah. she's given us everything that we, we, we longed for during this journey. And she continues to give us that as well. So, yeah, yeah I'm, in, I'm in love with this little girl. Yeah, <laughs> she's definitely got me wrapped around her finger now. <laughs> Jeff and I have said too, you know, we would never wish this journey and this shit show that we're living with on anybody ever. Like it's scary and it's horrible and it takes you to places that you didn't even know existed in terms of terror. Like you just, you can't possibly explain to anyone what it's like to not know whether your child's going to make another sunrise. And we say that you've made me really emotional today. I don't usually get emotional when I'm recording. So thank you. You know, Marley turned six a couple of weeks ago and that's the third set of bonus birthday candles that she's blown out because we nearly lost her the first time when she was three and a few times since and 
you know, our big thing wasn't ringing the bell. Our big thing was sending a photo of her to her paediatrician and neurologist that worked out what was wrong with her and saved her to start with on her first day of school. Now, that happened a few weeks ago, and that's just so special. And we do wonder, you know, in terms of the way that our priorities have changed as a family, um, we're so much more present and so much more mindful in the way that we love our children. I don't think we were bad parents before. We adored our children always, but when you have that come up against you, you just, you know, I say to parents all the time, just go home and hug your kids that little bit tighter because you just never know what's around the corner and family's just so important. It's just so important. And I wonder whether that's put a little bit of extra magic into you being in love with your daughter that you just, you know, they're just yeah. such a blessing and a gift and everything just changes when you've been through this. So you know, Absolutely. I think you've got to find the joy in, like, it's so horrible and you'd never wish it on anyone, but you've got to find those extra bits of joy in there that we're gifted as parents of medically complex kids. Absolutely. And you know what? I I, I look forward to nothing. I don't care about the money or materials or anything like that. Just give me health and give Absolutely. me... Just give me health. Just, yeah. just that that's all I ask for in life. Let it let let them let these kids grow up and actually be who the world was intending for them to be. Um, yeah. and that's why I go back to the point and I say no child should die from cancer. No child should die full stop because every child has a very bright future in front of them. Unfortunately, there's a lot of factors in life that can change that, but you know. I look at Marcus, right, and my last post was about um, he, him being my hero. And one of the things that I get told, kids are resilient. It's the, their resiliency doesn't come because they've experienced this and now they've gone, okay, well, I need to read a book about resilience. No, the resiliency comes from the fact that they are kids. Kids are so resilient because they don't want to be better and they want to go out and play, they want to run, they, and they feel sad when they can't do these things. For us adults, if I was going through cancer, I would never be as strong as my son is right now because I'll be like, just ride me off in bed. You know, I'm, I'm in bed today. I don't want to get out my mental health and so on. But, yeah, uh, kids, kids deserve it all. And um, another thing I'll mention the tiny gratitude space I was start, wasn't just started now. That wasn't the intention of it before Marcus was diagnosed. I actually started this in 2011 right. um, as a toy run to hospitals, to oh children hospitals. So every Christmas, um, I decided that I needed a change in my life, that I wanted to do something different around Christmas. Um, so I decided to start asking people to donate gifts. And every year it started building up. 2019 probably was the big, biggest year, more than 1,500 gifts. And I had gone out to probably nine or ten hospitals in that year and the year before and the year before. I started making friends with a lot of the nurses. Blackdown Hospital, shout out to Blackdown Hospital. I love these guys. I was born there. Nepean as well, yeah. Nepean. So Liverpool, Bankstown, Nepean, um, Blacktown, Fairfield. Uh, I've done Westmead once. Um, uh, Randwick as well, we've done once or twice. Uh, even Central Coast, I went out to Central Coast. It's, it was such an amazing thing. Unfortunately, with COVID, we had to stop. And then with my son's diagnosis, my brain hasn't been here. But the only thing that kept me going as well is the fact that I needed a purpose. I found my purpose. I'm going to continue. I'm not, I'm not stopping here. Um, yeah. this, 
it, no, this cancer bullshit is not going to stop me or my family again because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue with this. And you know what? Hopefully this year um, I can do the toy run again mm-hmm. and it will be bigger and better than ever because now I know what it feels like to be in that world. Absolutely. Well, let's make sure that I know you don't want to look too far into the future, but let's do a catch-up episode closer to Christmas. We can check in. You can let me know how Marcus is going and hopefully that's better than today. No matter what that looks like, let's just hope that it's better than today. Um, And, yeah, we can let people know how they can support it because people would love to support a cause like that and we would love to help you to make that happen again this year. All right. Tell me more about your art. So you create animated illustrations with music to describe the cancer journey without using words. Now, that's really important to us as a family because we have two boys that um, have autism and they're neurodiverse. So they communicate in lots of different ways. So I showed them some of your animations and they got a lot out of it and probably took it in a different way to what, you know, other, you know, other people might. So I think that's really important as well. Um, how helpful has this creative outlet been for you in processing the cancer journey that you've been on, both with your dad and then with Marcus as well? Can we make very, very clear to everybody listening? I don't draw for, like, I, I have no idea. My sketches are probably worse than a three-year-old. My son probably can draw better than me. My daughter, <laughs> four and a half months, probably can draw better than me. But So what can I'm people worried. expect if they go to your page? What can people expect to find there? You'll... Uh, what people should expect when you enter my page enter with the mentality that you're about to enter a whole lot of emotions from a person who's going through a journey everything that you will see that you will read is all part of the emotional journey that I am going through right now you're actually you're not getting a product page you're not getting an online shop you're getting you're actually about to dig deep into this person's head who's going through so much in life ever since he was a little kid and putting it all down in, in, in different forms just to get it out and to explain it. Um, a lot of focus on my son, but in the same time, it's a lot of focus on our emotions. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, about to, you're about to meet a person who wants nothing more from life besides health, but, but also to help while I can. I, I don't know how to draw, but... I decided one day that I needed an out. I needed an outlet because I couldn't just live this life where I'm just battling cancer. I needed to feel more powerful than cancer because cancer makes you feel powerless. And I needed to be a bit more powerful. So I started, I grabbed an iPad that we had bought. And my wife, oh, my wife's a graphic designer. (laughs) (laughs) I grabbed, I grabbed the story. A very, very important fact. Let's remember this. She is the person who can probably draw much better than me and can design much better than me. But yeah. I needed an outlet to express how I was feeling through drawings for some reason, for some odd reason. I just felt like that's the outlet that I needed. And then under each one of these drawings is a post about what the drawing is all about or where the feel, where the emotions are going or where they're coming from. Um, I, even the logo, the Tony Bradford's logo, that I learned um illustrator <laughs> to create that <laughs> i actually had to learn how to create this so many youtube videos but i learned how to create it and i did it and just to explain the logo to everybody 
The yeah. logo is actually a heart, and there's a reason why it's a heart. I'll come back in a second. The left side is a spiral, and that's the central line spiral that markets used to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the right side is the um, childhood cancer ribbon. That's really special. And the heart is the central line connecting to the main artery or the heart itself. That uh, that logo is probably came out of everything on that page is emotional. It's nothing is about marketing. I feel everything like that is just me trying to get something on paper. Mm. The drawings I do late at night. I've done some of them in hospital, just looking at Marcus in bed. There's one of him uh, laying in bed and it says, I see you and I'm holding a photo of him. That was an actual point when he was in ICU Mm. and that photo is real. That is me holding him on his baptism. Um, there's a, 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 another another one in the shower. Um, I, I broke down probably the most when I came back home after two days in hospital and the house was quiet and it was just silent. Um, uh, there's another one of him in a, in a ring battling this big, massive, dark thing. That's him against cancer, holding his chemo bag. There's the one of, of us asking, you know, I'll give you my heart and my soul because these are the conversations that we've had sorry all we've got to use chemotherapy that's been around since the 1940s or the 1950s everything that i'm putting together is just an emotional journey to take whoever visits that page to get them to understand how important it is for parents and god forbid that you ever have to go through the stage but i want you to know that it's okay for you to feel this way because a lot of us feel this way even though we hide it and a lot of us are good at hiding it. I can guarantee you, me- your mental health is challenged to its most extent. Like it just it, above and beyond to whatever you thought. There's no walking that can fix this mental health issue. It, 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 this mental health challenge. There's no running. There's no gym. There's no food. There's no diet. There's not. There's no water. Get your eight glasses a day or whatever. There's nothing. Nothing besides the fact that you want to know that your child will survive. And God just to think about that there is a survival rate and there's a chance that this page is raw emotion. And I'll make it, I know this, I know this about myself. I'm just, I'm a psycho when it comes down to things that I want to put my head into and I really want to get this bigger and up and have more of these conversations because let's build the awareness. And one day I can guarantee you someone's going to turn around and say, no longer do we need chemotherapy. We have better things out there and governments around the world will come and we'll fund it and we will go through it down another pathway. And I remember my, I remember speaking to somebody that said, if every government in the world funded cancer research, leukemia kids wouldn't have a two-year treatment. They'll have a two-month treatment. First month induction, second month CAR-T, immune therapy. They will be, and most likely, they, they probably would be healed for life in a lot of cases. Mm, that's hard, isn't it? That's what you'll get out of the page, and that's what you'll continue getting out of the page. There's nothing, everything about that page is genuine. You will hear and you'll read things that may make you uncomfortable at times, but it's okay because this journey was never meant to be comfortable. No, it wasn't. And you were talking before about your little girl hearing this and hearing how much you love her 
in the years to come when Marcus listens to this episode, he's going to hear his dad who is just saying there is nothing in the world that's going to stop me from doing everything in my power to keeping you here and watching you grow. And there's so much strength and beauty in that love. It just, I'm just in awe of you. And I I know that what you're doing is really going to touch people and it's really going to change people. And it's really going to get people in those chairs donating blood because without people's blood products, none of this is possible for anybody who has got cancer alongside lots of other things. Can I add, sorry, one last thing as well, and just to put it out there as well. So when I first shared Marcus's story back in September, so it was childhood, uh, sorry, childhood cancer awareness month. Mm. Um, When I shared Marcus's story uh, for the first time, a lot of my friends either started donating or went back to donating again. Um, I even had two people, three, call me to tell me that they may have seen signs and symptoms in their kids. I know parents are taking this and they're consuming this information. So to whoever he hears this, I'm going to keep going because I know one day, and if I, ha- if, I ha- if I could go back, I wish a page like this existed because besides the factual information, I just needed to know that I'm, my emotions are validated in that sense, that we, we're not going crazy. This is the way that we are meant to feel. Mm. Mm. And you want to see that someone else has been through this and survived as well. And oh. as parents going through yes. that journey, you know, there is nothing worse than sitting next to your kid in a paediatric intensive care bed and just looking around because it's so open. There's no privacy in those places. And just looking around and just going, if you're in a PICU environment, your child is in a life-threatening situation. And every single one of these families is sitting here right now, holding the same terror in their hearts that I am holding right now. And all of these beds had different kids in them a few days ago. And it's just, it's a nightmare, like you couldn't, it's a terror that you couldn't even dream in your worst nightmares. But so many families are living through it every single day and so many families are getting through it. And But you don't know how because it's so invisible. So thank you so much for opening that narrative and just showing people how your family's coping with it because I know that'll be such a useful tool for so many other families. Absolutely. So to just finish us off today, what is your final message to blood donors or anybody who's considering donating blood for the first time after hearing Marcus's story? My message is simple. You, the reason why perhaps sometimes you get held back is because maybe you're not fully seeing the recipient, but understand this, the recipient needs you. They need you beyond your fears and beyond that needle phobia. And I've got people that said that to me. These repeat, the recipients need you, like absolutely need you. These parents need you. Everyone who is around that particular child or any person who needs blood donations need you to go out there Try, just give it a shot. And even if you can't donate, that's fine. Tell people about it. Make people aware. Let them know that this is important. We are in shortage. We do need more blood. Yeah. Let's get it out Get it out there. Save save a life or two or three every time you donate blood and plasma. Go for it. Mm. Unfortunately for me, um, my needle 
went in the wrong way. And because oh. it drew out blood, I had to wait three months till the next clinician. Oh, no. plasma in those three months. So I'm still waiting till April now. <laughs> That's so, okay. We yeah. say to people all the time, we've got lots of friends who have spent time in the UK. And so they can't donate because they've been there at the wrong time with the, you know, mad cow yes. disease situation. And, you know, they're like, we can't do it. What can we do? You know, get across the social media posts from you know lifeblood they don't have to be mine share them with your friends you know let people know when the blood donor bus is around any of those things you know also help more people to donate so thank you so much for your time today it just I just can't wait to catch up with you again later in the year and see how Marcus is doing and your vulnerability and your honesty in what you've shared in the episode today and also through your page is going to help so, so, so many families. So I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. I'm grateful as well that this today actually happened because I'm glad we got to speak and I hope a lot of people do listen to this episode. And thank you so much for taking the time out and and, and going through this. Yeah, vulnerability was something I was expecting, but this is good. This is really, really good. Thank you. Thank you. This is an episode that is going to stay with me for a very long time. And whether it gives our listeners an insight into the day in the life of a family with additional needs, the role that fathers play in parenting medically complex kids, uh, makes blood donors feel more appreciated or even gets a new donor in the chair, then it has been absolutely worthwhile. Um, It's just such an honour and a privilege to have guests like Michael and his family trusting me to tell their stories. And I'm so grateful to them for being a part of the Milkshakes for Marley community. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today, thanks to this selfless gift. And it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Michael from Tiny Gratitudes, who shared his son Marcus's journey of childhood cancer. Marley's dad, my lovely husband, Jeff, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au. And we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood Team Tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my prayers, Mali.